0: The Conspiracy Podcast contains adult language, suggestive themes, sexual situations, and discussions of some pretty horrific events. Basically, all the good stuff. Thanks for listening.
1: anyone and everyone
0: who's using this virus as a political weapon against the president the standard flu
2: every single year kills tens of thousands of Americans we are now entering what will be the crucial defining 15-day period as it it relates to this virus where we must slow the spread of coronavirus
1: it's actually the safest time to fly
0: everyone I know that's flying right now terminals are pretty much dead we have a responsibility to slow down this virus and to think of other people during this time and so if you can keep your distance
2: and
1: prevent someone from getting close to you that might be sick you could save your family you could save the elderly and help our country as a nation. It is absolutely disgusting that Democrats
0: are seeking to use this complex virus to score cheap political points. This dangerous health crisis could dovetail quickly into a political crisis, already feeling economic ramifications of it all. And I said, hey, hey, we're still in a pandemic, hey You can leave your house and play Because we'll all kill each other, hey Hello everyone, and welcome back to Conspirity uh, If you haven't left yet because of my terrible singing voice I'm one of your hosts, I'm
1: Renee oh, I'm so mentally recovering from you I mean, Yeah, from that grand <laughs> amount performance
0: Yeah, (laughs) D.W. Oh, you would be a great D.W. I pretty much was.
2: No, Liz is a Muffy.
1: (gasps) Oh yeah. Okay. Um, can I be like Muffy with the side of the imaginary friend?
2: Yes, you can be Muffy with Nadine she has an imaginary friend, doesn't she?
1: Yeah, Nadine.
2: No, DW does, but like doesn't Muffy also have an imaginary friend?
1: Oh I don't know. I know that I always wanted Nadine. And I think that's why I knew that I also liked girls. <laughs> <laughs> <'Cause> I, <don't> <laughs> have...
2: <laughs> I mean that's fair. And Renee is Francine.
1: So true. Oh, yeah. oh my god I mean, that's like, the yeah. coolest <laughs> thing I've ever heard.
2: <laughs> I am
1: Arthur, sister. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know
2: her name. All I know is she does yoga and she's in the fuck out. So that's me. There <sighs>
1: you go. Welcome back to the Arthur podcast, where we uh, deep dive every episode of Arthur and tell you our thoughts.
0: <laughs> I've probably seen maybe ten episodes of Arthur, oh, and too old. I know I was I was like a smidge too old for it. I was just like a smidge.
2: What? How old? Wait, what year were you born?
0: 85.
2: Okay, on another note, I found out Prunella's sister's name. Go ahead. Yes. Her name is Rubella.
0: Oh boy. No, you're fucking joking.
2: Rubella Deegan. Their last she, name.
0: They named her after a disease? <laughs> <laughs> that could not be more perfect for the episode we're doing.
2: I am Rubella. Call me Rubella.
0: I will. I will. I don't know who all of these people are. Yeah, I was like, is this really
1: an Arthur podcast now? And I, just, <laughs> I have no idea what's going
0: on. Uh, so, <laughs> back, <laughs> back and on track. How have, how have oh, you guys
2: been? What? I
1: what? said
2: back home on the ranch.
1: <laughs>
0: you know, meanwhile, back on the ranch. Meanwhile, back on the ranch. Um, how how is how has your guys' week been? What have you been watching, reading, looking at, doing?
2: Awesome. Um, we First watched time. we watched Have a Good Trip on Netflix, and that's a really. Did y'all watch that? No, now, there's I- is there
1: a
0: sequel called See You Next Fall. What is there a sequel called See You Next Fall?
2: <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I don't know
0: what you're saying. It's a classic joke. Having a when you trip somebody, you say "Have a nice trip." Oh, see you next call oh,
2: you. Anyways, no, it's actually <laughs> it's pretty funny. And Anthony Bourdain is on there. That's why I asked you, Liz. If you oh
1: would- well, now I gotta go because I'm gonna watch that right now. I'll see y'all later.
2: God. No, it's too he late. We're to already all here. He said he has gone. He has probably tripped about two hundred times.
1: I'm not surprised.
2: That's what I said. I was like, I'm not surprised at all. Um, Yeah. So we watched that, which was great. Um, Sean almost killed us.
1: Um, Oh yeah! Tell everyone about the uh, the, uh, pandemic (laughs) over there at your household.
2: Listen up, kids. There are these things that grow in your yard that you can eat called wild onions and wild garlic. You know, they're completely edible. They grow pretty much anywhere. They might be in your backyard, might be in your front yard, might be in the woods across the street. They smell like onions. They're supposed (laughs) to smell like onions. There's also these things called daffodil bulbs that look very similar to them. They might even have a slight onion smell. Or maybe that's just the poison in them. I don't know. But let me tell you. If you cut those up and put them in a salad and eat them, you're gonna be puking your guts up and thinking you're gonna die. Um, and then having to call poison control to wonder and ask them if you are gonna die. Um, <laughs> as you can tell, I'm alive. Maybe not. Maybe I'm dead. Maybe I died, and this is my ghost. It's fine. Wow.
1: Um,
2: yeah, just and you know a little mix up. My mind was like, oh, here I go. I'm. It's. I think his name's Chris from Into the Wild. Here I go. I'm gonna die. This is it. This is my time. <laughs> because that's a true story. Daffodil bulbs. Any part of a daffodil is extremely toxic and poisonous to a human. But especially the bulb. You know what its nickname is? <laughs> Death Camus.
0: Oh my god. No. Its name is what?
2: Death Camus.
0: Oh my God, that's
2: so metal! So <laughs> yeah, so yeah, so Sh- Sean made a salad and he picked all the greens from the garden and then he picked some daffodil bulbs, thought they were wild onions, cut them up, put it in the salad. We ate it, and then like an hour after dinner, he was like, "I don't feel so great," and I I made some comment. I was like, "Of course, if you're sick again." Here we go. <laughs> 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 and he gets the kids upstairs to get them ready for bed and one of my children come, come one of my little ones just runs downstairs and is like daddy's throwing up in the toilet and I was like what and then as soon as he said that not even joking I started getting dizzy started getting lightheaded and my stomach started turning and I was like oh shit and I ran to the bathroom and I started throwing up in the toilet. And oh, so God. I'm like hey Sean what'd you put in that salad? And he was telling me and I was like, "Are you sure those were wild onions? Sure, there weren't anything else." And of course, as we're looking it up, we realize that it's the daffodil bulb. Yes, that's my my story for the week. Um, just glad we didn't die.
0: I am also glad you didn't die, and uh, you know, it should, better like next time, Sean. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um. Okay. Well, I um had a pretty big week in TV last week. I'm not really sure why, but I watched more TV. I think last week than I did the whole pandemic. I watched all of the new Mindy Kaling show, Never Have I Ever. That was oh, really shit. good. And then oh. I watched all of the Netflix show Outer Banks.
0: <laughs> oh. And then I oh
1: man. All- of the Lulu show normal people. What else did I watch?
0: How was that? Because um the previews when I saw the previews I was like, why do I want to watch another show about um semi interesting white people being in love with each other?
1: No, but really though, this one is really good. I cried really hard. And that's like not like my normal Liz like gets emotional at everything cry but like cry cry. It was mm-hmm. really It's really good. It's really in-depth. It's, like, hard to explain without giving it away, but it's not, like, typical. And I wanted to talk to you guys about this. Have you guys, do you remember, in 2009, the show, it's, like, the first limited series, I want to say, maybe, big maybe, called Harper's Island?
0: It sounds familiar.
1: So, it was on in 2009. It was one season, obviously and it's, like, a big, long episode of Clue. It's on Amazon Prime now, and, um, it's, like, basically all these people return to this, like, island off the coast of Seattle where all these murders happen, oh, happened a long time ago, and they're all returned there for a wedding, and then, like, People keep getting murdered and hacked left and right, and you can't figure out who's doing the murdering because everyone has ulterior motives. It's basically a long mid two thousands episode, or like yeah, of Clue. It's so freaking good. Oh,
0: dude, I fuck. I love Clue, so I'm down for that.
1: It is so good, and I uh, have been reading much less news, so I'm not panicking every day anymore.
0: Well, that's good. It's it's good to step away. I try to stick to funny Twitter rather than news Twitter. Oh, man. So I found out this week um, that mankind discovered how to make beer before we discovered how to make bread. bread. Making bread is a byproduct of mankind making beer.
2: That's what I was about to say.
0: What? what no, it wasn't. No, it wasn't heard no really? yeah, it was a, not not those exact story words. katie don't take my story
2: <laughs> Not that. Exact- I've,
0: <laughs> <week. laughs> like,
2: I've, I've, I've heard something like that before
0: yeah yeah because um
2: the fermentation process from the beer mm-hmm. helps with uh the not the yeast but like the 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 i want to call it the mother of the bread the um,
1: yeah. heard- mother
0: the mother um because like uh before when they would just eat grains they found out that if they soaked the grains they would be easier to eat and they would somebody left their grains too long so it fermented and that's how they found out about beer and uh then they found out that like the the leftover bits of like yeast and wheat and whatever they could make into like um i forget the name of it but it's basically like a savory biscotti and that was like the first form of bread
2: nice i, want, I need to tell my boss about this
0: there you go there you go yeah, Make I, your-
2: I call it the mother like in kombucha how do you have the mother mm-hmm. because they always tell us like they all like if somebody comes in and wants sourdough starter for my job they're like oh well we just fed it so we have to wait until tomorrow and i'm like what you fed it is it an animal
0: you dribble a little sugar. Well, no sourdough. You dribble a little flour. The I mother know. you dribble a little sugar. I know. Just you it. just
2: come together. Like we just said it. Sugar bay. Chisel,
0: chisel, chisel.
2: I'm just imagining this little bread monster looking up with its mouth open, like
0: <laughs> like a bread version of um. Liz, help me. Audrey, Aubrey, Audrey, Aubrey, Audrey.
2: What the fuck are you saying?
0: Are you having a stroke? <laughs> Little Shop of Horrors
1: Oh
0: Freed me Seymour <laughs> yeah, Like the bread version of that
1: Yes Well friends uh, we hope that you've all Been staying nice and safe And uh, if you have been scared By all of the uh, News and pandemic And if you're just feeling Overwhelmed by all of it Buckle up because we're about to give you a lot more
2: Please um hope you're not too scared of what's already happening in the world right now because here's some more fear for you. Plagues and pandemics throughout history. That's what we're doing. Yay.
0: Yay. Pandemics got those pandemics. And
2: I'm going to take back to, um, it was one of the first recorded plagues in history during the Second Peloponnesian War known as the Plague of Athens, Plague at Athens in 430 B.C. So this plague originated just south of Ethiopia. It traveled north and west through Egypt and Libya and crossed the Mediterranean Sea into Persia and Greece. It killed around a third of the population, which at the time was two hundred and fifty to 300,000 people. Uh, the plague was the most lethal illness during the period of classical Greece history. Greek historian Thucydus, oh, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, He documented the plague in his writings during the Peloponnesian War. He described the ailments caused by the plague in his writings. And this is actually from his writing, what I'm going to say about how, what the, the plague at Athens actually did to the people who were infected. Um, He wrote violent heats in the head, redness and inflammation of the eyes, throat and tongue quickly suffused with blood. Breath became unnatural and faded. Sneezing and hoarseness, violent cough, vomiting, retching, violent convulsions, the body externally not so hot to the touch, nor yet pale, a livid color inkling to red, breaking out in pustules and ulcers. So it sounds like they had a great time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it sounds fun.
2: sounded like it was just so much fun. Um He also described the fevers as something that caused people to wear nothing because the clothes would rub on their skin, causing so much pain. Some would just sit in ice-cold baths to relieve the fever. Uh, He also said if people made it past the initial period of infection, they would typically die from violent ulceration and severe diarrhea. The people who survived were left with their genitals being disfigured, along with fingers and toes, blindness, and loss of memory. Some of the earliest casualties of the plague were physicians. They had to come into close contact with infected people, and they had no idea what the disease was or how to treat it. And from physicians dying, they realized the disease was very contagious. Historians have tried to figure out what the disease was, making a lot of guesses as to what type it was. They studied the disease and its ailments, and their guesses ranged from typhus, typhoid, smallpox, the bubonic plague, measles, and even... Here's going back to the Salem Witch Trials air got poison
0: oh dang what about a throwback
2: right um scientists and historians still are not sure about what the outbreak really was but they're still studying the writings by Thucydides. if that's how you say i'm sorry once again if someone wants to correct me please do um so that's like one of the first ones i could find which obviously that goes way back there so if the plague at Athens was, you know, since they couldn't really categorize it as one of the forms of the bubonic plague, let's go to one of the first known origins of the bubonic plague, uh, which is have it was thought to have originally been known as Justinian's Plague back in 541 to 542 AD. The plague started in Constant- Constantinople and 542 AD, and the plague continued to be around for the next 225 years before it disappeared in 750 AD. The plague is thought to have originated in Egypt, and it spread in two directions, north to Alexandria and east to Palestine. The plague was transmitted by black rats on the grain ships. Constantinople was the main place where grains were brought and stored for the empire. One of the rats, um, it's also one of the rats' favorite things to eat, So being that the grains were stored in warehouses, it was a massive breeding ground for rats and a feast for them as well. The plague became a problem when the summer months took an unusual and unexpected turn. Snow and colder than usual temperatures caused crops to die, making food difficult for the empire. So people migrated to warmer climates, traveling with the infected fleas and rats, which, of course, spread the disease easily throughout Europe. People who contracted the illness were shown to have suffered from delusions, nightmares, fevers, and swellings of the groin, armpits, and behind the ears. Swelling of the armpit just sounds really, really,
1: really swelling funny. of the groin?
2: And the groin. Like because those are little creases of your bodies, like <gasps>
0: Ew.
1: Oh,
0: it's like uh like glands. It's like when you get chubra,
1: you know? A I glandular like, disorder. You know
2: Just can you imagine trying to put your arms down where your armpits are and it's like you can't because it's like swollen?
1: I've had my armpits burn before after getting waxed and if it's anything like that, I think I would rather die.
2: Well, there you go. Um, People either suffered greatly for days before dying or they died almost immediately after symptoms initially came on. The disease was named after the Byzantine emperor Justinian. The disease spread through war and trade throughout the Byzantine Empire. Nobody was safe from catching the disease. The emperor even caught the disease, even though he did not die. Cats and dogs even caught the disease. Uh, Dead bodies were scattered throughout the streets, and so Justinian had burial pits and tombs dug and built for the dead bodies that were scattered throughout the empire. Nearly 20 to 40% of the population of Constantinople died from this disease, which is around 25 to 50 million people. And we're going to, once again, talk about something great. The black
1: death.
0: I will say, if I could, if I was thinking about this earlier in the week while I was doing my research, if I could be any profession during any time in history, I would be a plague doctor. A thousand percent. Every single time. Give me the choice. I'm a plague doctor. I'm in the black death. I got a cool beak mask filled with herbs and I'm dressed in amazing black and no one can touch me.
2: That's true. Oh, yeah. that would be Renee. She'd be walking down the street like, fuck yeah, look at me. She's
0: and like, I would, and I would still have, um, I would retain all of my memories from this life and I would just have Savage in my brain all the time.
2: Okay. okay. So The Black Death was one of the most devastating plagues that took Europe almost 200 years to fully recover from. The Black Death killed an estimated 25 to 30 million people in Europe from 1347 to 1352. The disease was transmitted transmitted by bacteria from rats on a trading ship that sailed from the Black Sea into Italy. These damn rats. Rats and fleas, man. man. They're tragic. From Italy, the Black Death spread rapidly throughout Europe. The disease got the name the Black Death because it would turn the skin and sores black along with other symptoms such as fever and joint pain. It's estimated that between 30 to 50% of the populations of the places affected by the Black Death died. The Black Death caused a total of three plagues while it was ravaging Europe. The Bubonic Plague, Pneumonic, and Septicemia. The most common plague out of the three at the time was the Bubonic Plague. The Bubonic Plague caused... Like I said before, severe swelling of the groin and armpits, which return a black color. Um, and it is deadly if left untreated. It kills between 30 and 75% of people within 72 hours after infection sets in. That sounds awful. By the end of 1349, the Black Death had spread throughout the trade routes into France, Britain, Spain, and Ireland. In 1350, the disease began to spread through Russia, Germany, Scandinavia, and the Baltic Seas. All of these areas were severely hit by the Black Death and witnessed many deaths. Medieval doctors had never heard of, let alone seen, a microscopic bacteria like this plague before. They had no idea how to handle or treat the disease, and because it was the you know 1350s, sanitation was awful. They didn't know how to wash their hands.
0: Oh, dude! Um,
2: Bodies every day.
0: Um. Plague doctors, during the Black Death, plague doctors were actually, like, more hygienic than hospital doctors in, like, the early 1900s. I will not believe that. And that's your plague doctor corner. Carry plague. on,
1: Jesus Christ. <laughs> so
2: the people in these regions at the time did not fully understand what was happening. Um, all they knew was that people were dying at a fast rate after becoming severely ill. So instead of kind of staying put in their own areas and cities and countries, they fucking fled all the cities in turn spreading the disease throughout Europe way faster and easier. Uh, The death toll was so high and at such a fast rate that officials were not sure what to do with all of the dead bodies. So carts piled high with corpses became a common thing to be seen on the streets throughout different cities. So they, it's believed that the death toll is somewhere between twenty-five to thirty million people, but they say some uh, upwards of seventy-five to two hundred million actually died, which <sighs> seems like a
0: lot. That's, that's in Europe. That's so. so many people.
2: Yeah. So now we're gonna move to from eighteen seventeen to eighteen twenty-four. Many Asian countries experienced the first. Cholera pandemic. The pandemic is thought to have started at the Ganges River and was brought back and spread throughout other parts of Asia by travelers. Cholera is a bacteria that lives in water, and when it enters the body, it lines the intestines, causing excess water to be released, resulting in diarrhea along with rapid loss of fluids and electrolytes. You know, after you feel hungover, that's kind of what happens.
0: So, when you're swimming in the river and you feel something quiver, diarrhea. 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 When you're in the third
2: and you feel a little turd, diarrhea. Diarrhea. So as I said, um cholera just makes you have miss, it, it's insane diarrhea and probably really painful. Uh, it the outbreak in 1817 was a result from contaminated rice. It originated um that rice originally came was in India and it quickly spread through trade routes into other Asian countries and it took six years for the pandemic to fully go away. There have been a total of seven cholera pandemics since the one in eighteen seventeen. So that one just keeps
1: I was going to say other countries still deal with cholera on a regular basis.
0: It's tragic, yeah. It's it's such a terrible disease to to deal with.
2: Um and the last one I'm gonna talk about Uh, it's pretty popular right now. Um, no, it's not the coronavirus. It's, uh, the Spanish flu of 1918, because it's like everybody just wanted to educate themselves as soon as all this shit came out, and they are like, oh, look, there was a flu Mm -hmm. back in 1918. Anyways. So the Spanish flu of 1918 was the deadliest pandemic at its time. It infected a third of the world's population and killed around 50 million people. Uh, the Spanish flu caused the average life expectancy to drop 12 years from 48.4 years in men and 54 years in women in 1917, down to 36.6 years in men and 42.4 years in women in 1918. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, you didn't make it to, you made it just to middle age and then you were like dead. Mm. Uh, One of the scary parts of the Spanish flu was the way it struck healthy adults between the ages of 15 to 34 the most. Sounds pretty familiar. Yeah. Uh, It quickly spread from Europe to the United States and parts of Asia before it eventually spread throughout the whole world. The Hmm. first wave of the Spanish flu was pretty mild. The ones who became sick in the spring of 1918 when it began showed very mild symptoms of the flu like chills, fever, fatigue, but they recovered quickly. But the second wave that occurred in the fall, listen, listen to this. Listen to this, people. The second wave that occurred in the fall of 1918 had a more deadly outcome. Should I repeat that? No, I will not, because just (laughs) listen to it the first time. When people became sick during the second wave, they died within hours or days of becoming infected. Their skin would turn blue and their lungs would fill with fluid, causing them to suffocate.
0: A Wait, I get to turn into a blue mermaid?
2: You get to turn into Violet from Willy Wonka.
0: Violet! No, but- right. That's right, Mr. Wonka. Take me to the squeezing room. No.
2: <laughs> oh. So doctors were unsure how to treat the flu, um, which this part I found very interesting and I have some parts to say after this about what I think. So um, one of the first things that they suggested patients to do to kind of rid the flu symptoms and help themselves get better was to take up to 30 grams of aspirin per day.
0: I'm sorry, how much was that?
2: 30 grams.
0: how many milligrams is that? Uh, three thousand.
1: That's what I was thinking. Wait, yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking that's crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. That's it, eight it, eight Advil a day.
2: The the recommended daily dose today is no more than four grams. Wow. Oh. So, because people were taking up to thirty grams per day per doctor's order. People were poisoning themselves Mm. and dying. So my theory, this is my theory, because the Spanish flu was such a huge, deadly pandemic that struck us, and, you know, until this one that we're going through today, which is just causing all sorts of shit. um, I don't, like, I I didn't look into it, but wondering... How many people died from the actual flu compared to how many people died from accidentally poisoning themselves, having an overdose of taking 30 grams of aspirin a day or even more?
0: I just want to know what the side effects for that are.
2: I'm sure you're, I'm sure you would be fucking hallucinating, dizzy as hell, and probably your body would slowly start to shut down. Like that, that sounds painful. Ugh. Um, but. The Spanish flu was one of the first times that they used quarantine uh, in a pandemic throughout, you know, places. Um, so people kind of stayed put in their cities and states and countries for a while. Um, except for, you know, some places that decided to have huge parades with hundreds, thousands of people. Yeah. We're not going to talk about
0: that which, which we're doing on a daily basis now
2: we're not going to talk about that either. Um the <clears throat> only other thing was the Spanish flu was kind of the first time also that they used not only quarantine but they also used the use of face masks and kind of separating from other people. But their face masks were way cooler.
0: Way cooler. I've seen photos. Dude, I just looked up um the side effects of overdosing on aspirin just cuz i was curious cuz i need to know everything um and symptoms include nausea ringing in the ears fast breathing fever seizures mental confusion kidney failure and respiratory failure
2: like i said it sounds
0: yeah, good. yeah. so like you're deal it's like you either deal with that or you get the spanish flu
2: once again um second wave worse keep that in mind
0: Second wave, second wave of new wave music. great. Second wave of pandemics terrible
1: <sighs> So kids, I am going to be covering the uh, quick little tour down memory lane. You know there's so much to love about American history. You got your slavery. you got your capitalism. You got your genocides, mm. you're wiping out of entire cultures, and you've got dangerous epidemics. God, good lord. <laughs> we'll start with a, uh, not as talked about as I would think it should be, we will go and talk about smallpox. That the lovely Europeans brought to us when they demolished my people. In 1633, the common symptoms of smallpox are high fever, chills, severe back pain, and rashes. So it started in the Northeast, obviously, where the pale faces came from, and (laughs) would wipe out entire Native American tribes. Over 70% of the Native American population was killed by 1721. And in 1722, 844 of the 5,889 Bostonians who had smallpox died from it. In 1770, Edward Jenner developed a vaccine from cowpox. It helps the body become immune to smallpox without causing the disease. And then, flash forward a, a long time, longer than you think it would take... In 1972, there was a large vaccination initiative and now it is gone from the United States and vaccines are no longer necessary. Yay! Mm -hmm. Ending Mm -hmm. for everyone but the native. As usual. (laughs) Jumping ahead to the Caribbean man. 19... Wait, I'm sorry, that was dyslexia. 1793. Yellow Fever. Philadelphia was once the nation's capital and its busiest seaport. In one particularly humid summer, refugees leaving a yellow fever epidemic in the Caribbean islands sailed on in, carrying their little yellow germs with them. It causes blowing of the skin, fever, and bloody vomiting. 5,000 people died, and 17,000 fled the city. That's a lot of people, I feel like, in one city. The vaccine was developed and then licensed in 1953, and one vaccine is enough for life. It is mostly recommended to babies nine months and older, especially if you live or travel to high-risk areas. Um, And I'm not sure if you guys are more curious about the yellow fever. You can look at the CDC's website. They actually have quite a bit on yellow fever there, which is pretty interesting. And uh as of now, mosquitoes are kind of like the front runners for how the disease spreads, especially in countries in Central and South America and Africa. And eliminating them has been successful in controlling yellow fever. It has no cure, but someone who does recover automatically becomes immune for the rest of their life. So, another moderately happy ending. I guess. <laughs> and now Back to Katie's favorite word, we're going to go skip on forward to cholera. 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 Um. So from 1832 to 1866, we have three waves of cholera. And an estimated two to six Americans died every single day during the outbreak. The United States had three serious waves of cholera. Um, which is an infection of the intestine, like Katie said. And it began in India and swiftly spread across across the globe through trade routes. Um, New York was usually the first city. So I guess in New York, when people started shitting their pants, they were like, oh, fuck. It's An <laughs> estimated, like I said, two to six per day were dying during the outbreak Um it's unclear what ended the pandemics, but it may have been changing climate or quarantines, like Katie started to mention. The last documented outbreak in the U.S. was 1911, um, and like she also said, if you don't treat it like pretty quickly, it will cause death. Uh, antibiotics, zinc supplements, and rehydration are crucial. It still causes nearly 130 thousand deaths annually. Um, In places, as you can imagine, with, like, not the best water and not the best, like, water systems and sewage systems and stuff. Um, But, you know, the virus is still present in countries where cleanliness is not as prevalent. But you can still get a vaccine for cholera if you're planning to travel to areas that are high risk. But, much like you hear today, wash your hands, avoid weird touching And try not to drink contaminated water. And you'll be fine.
0: It is, like, way harder than you think not to drink contaminated water, though. Because, like, how do
1: you know? For sure. Okay, we're going to hop on up to my second favorite colored fever, which would be the scarlet fever. Scarlet fever is a bacterial infection that can occur after strep throat. Just like cholera, scarlet fever epidemics came in multiple waves. So during the 1858 epidemic, 95% of people who caught the virus were children. Um, Older studies argue that scarlet fever declined due to improved nutrition. But research shows, Trump, listen up, improvements in public health and public health funding were the cause of eradication. There is no vaccine to prevent strep throat or scarlet fever. It is important for those with strep throat symptoms to seek treatment as quickly as possible. Your doctor will typically treat it with antibiotics. So, that could be us in a couple years, you know. Just like, oh no, I think I got the COVID. Can so we call it like,
2: but they're beer virus. I have that
1: citrone fever.
0: Ew. I love I that cover. I would do that. I got me. I got Miss Rona. Miss Rona's is appearing again.
1: Madam Roni and cheese. Oh, Two death
0: macaroni and cheese for me.
1: Fine. We should do a whole episode of macaroni and cheese. <laughs> I know it doesn't really fit into our. <laughs> I'm sure we can find like a macaroni and cheese murderer.
0: Do you know what's in your macaroni and cheese?
1: <laughs> do you know where your mac is coming from? <laughs> I'll murder someone over some damn macaroni and cheese, and then we'll have something to talk about um 1906 we are just moving through here typhoid mary dun, dun, dun. oh i'm sorry your hero
0: she's a great woman in history
1: well wow. all right uh so one of the biggest typhoid fever epidemics of all time broke out between 1906 and 1907 in new york because renee's personal lord and savior mary mallon often referred to as Typhoid Mary spread the virus to about 122 New Yorkers during her time as a cook on an estate and in a hospital unit. About five of those 122 New Yorkers passed away from the virus. Annually, 10,771 people passed away from typhoid fever. Still not half as many as the coronavirus, but okay. Okay. <laughs> Medical testing showed that Malin was a healthy carrier for typhoid fever. Typhoid fever causes sickness and red spots to form on the chest and abdomen. A vaccine was developed in 1911, and an antibiotic treatment for typhoid fever became available in 1948. Now, I don't know if y'all know this, but it is still around, and you can still get it. It's really rare. Like, it would be like shocking and like crazy, but it, it can definitely still happen. Moving along now, 1918, the Spanish flu. The Spanish flu is a mutating influenza, and it actually does not come from Spain, yet it circles the globe annually. But it hit us in 1918, and then it would return in 1957 as the Asian flu. Sound familiar? Hmm. Nearly 70,000 deaths before a vaccine became available. After the end of World War One, cases of the flu slowly declined. None of the suggestions provided at the time from wearing masks drinking coal coal oil, excuse me, to drinking coal oil. Maybe we should tell Trump that and see what happens. After the end of World War I, cases of the flu slowly declined. Um, What I said earlier, from wearing masks to drinking coal oil, we don't know how effective that was, but today's treatments include bed rest, fluids, and antiviral medications. So pretty simple. Mm -hmm. And as we all know, if you don't know now, you know, influenza strains mutate every year, making last year's vaccination less effective. So it is important to get your yearly vaccination to decrease your risk for the flu. Moving on to one of my favorite epidemics. So diphtheria peaked in 1921 with 206,000 cases. It causes swelling of the mucous membranes, including in your throat, that can obstruct breathing and swallowing. Sometimes a bacterial toxin enters the bloodstream and causes fatal heart and nerve damage. By the mid 1920s, researchers licensed a vaccine against the bacterial disease, and infection rates plummeted in the U.S. Woohoo science! More than 80% of children in the United States are vaccinated for it and those who contract the disease are treated with antibiotics. Perhaps the biggest boy. Polio is a viral disease that affects the nervous system, causing paralysis. It spreads through direct contact with people who have the infection. The first major polio epidemic in the United States occurred in 1916, but didn't reach its peak until 1952. Damn. Which I don't like. (laughs) That gives me an icky feeling on the inside
0: yeah definitely of
1: the 57,628 reported cases which is not that much considering there were 3,145 deaths yeah small rate but still awful three years later dr jonas salk developed a vaccine and by 1962 the average number of cases dropped to 910 the cdc reports that the u.s has been polio free since 1979 nowadays getting vaccinated for polio is very important before traveling because there is no cure treatment involves increasing comfort levels and (laughs) preventing complications basically (laughs) treatment involves making sure you're nice and happy before you go
0: yeah basically like you i'm sure um everyone well maybe not because i'm old when I was a child, I saw photos of kids who had polio and they were in those iron lungs where it's basically the giant iron cylinders they would have to sit in because their body couldn't support itself. Also, polio is my absolute favorite example of correlation does not equal causation because when they were trying to find a vaccine for it, they were like, oh, polio rates seem to go up when it's summer. And kids eat more ice cream in the summer. What? Yes, there was a legitimate theory that ice cream caused polio for a little bit.
1: Hey, you, let's talk about measles.
0: <laughs> let's talk about
1: measles. Let's talk about polka dots. Let's talk about burritos, it's coffee red eyes, and sore throats. Let's talk about. Liz, that was class.
0: That was amazing.
1: Hey, you. I've seen
0: this perfect a lot. Dude, one of the most <laughs> one of the most terrifying things about measles to me is that their R rate, so like their infection rate, like um I think the common, like the regular flu has an infection rate of like R one point two, which is like one person will infect one point two other people on average. Measles has an infection rate of R twelve to eighteen. Oh, my God. Yeah. Measles is highly, highly contagious. Yeah, because it's like
1: air. You literally just breathe on someone or near someone.
0: Yeah. so I'm so glad I was vaccinated against it. Woo! Anyways, continue. I'm sorry.
1: I think I remember listening to... Uh, oh, by the way, everyone, if you want to learn from people who are actually epidemiologists i would highly recommend this podcast will kill you that's the name they are incredible and each episode they go like super 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 in depth on like the history the epidemiology what happens the cure the cause etc and it's like the best literally the best podcast ever renee do you listen to that yet i have listened to a few episodes um
0: I am trying to catch up on podcast episodes now. It's just difficult for me because I have no commute now. So I just have to like, it's difficult for me to like listen to a podcast and work, but I'm trying to fit in all my podcast episodes I've been missing.
1: Measles is a virus before I sang it to you. So now I'll sing it to you. Wait, no, I will say it to you. Mm-hmm. is a virus that causes a fever runny nose cough red eyes and sore throat and a rash that spreads over your entire body sound fun it's a very contagious disease and it spreads through the air still interested in the early 20th century most cases involve children due to inadequate vaccination coverage yay yeah <laughs> do so, i made that an infomercial for measles? <laughs> <laughs> okay, there's more
0: for the low low payment of one vaccination you can avoid this disease
1: doctors began to recommend a second vaccine for everyone and since then each year has had fewer than a thousand cases um the u.s experienced another outbreak of measles in 2014 and 2015 the cdc reports that this outbreak was identical to the measles outbreak in the philippines in 2014, be sure to get all your vaccinations that your doctor recommends for your little crotch goblin. And, almost currently, we're going to be talking about the contaminated water in Milwaukee, which is cryptosporidium.
0: Ooh, I fucking love that name.
1: Thank you. I made it myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, in 1993... Over 403,000 people were infected, and more than 100 people died. There was no vaccine, and people with compromised immune systems passed away. So, now water is cryptosporidium-free, but there's still about 748,000 cases each year. And that includes um, your fun symptoms, my personal faves, dehydration, fever, stomach cramps, and diarrhea. So, yeah. Yeah. And the, um, the leading cause of early death, which I will go ahead and talk about, which I think we should talk about uh, a whole episode on this. That is just my personal opinion. We can talk about that later. Uh, HIV and AIDS. Oh, man. Okay. Oh, I'm so glad you're talking about this. Yes. So, first documented in 1981, the epidemic we now know as HIV first appeared to be a rare lung infection. But now we know that it damages the body's immune system and compromises its ability to fight infections. AIDS is the final stage of HIV and the sixth leading cause of death in the United States among people 25 to 44. That's pretty nuts. It may be transmitted separately or through blood and body fluids from person to person. It can be transmitted from mother to unborn baby if not treated. it's, It's a terrifying disease. Thanks, Reagan. Mm-hmm. And, of course, there is no cure. You can decrease your risk through safety measures like making sure your needles are sterilized and having protective sex. Um, other measures can be taken during pregnancy to d- prevent the disease from being transmitted For emergencies. Post-exposure prophylaxis is a new antiretroviral medicine that prevents HIV from developing within 72 hours. So, yeah. I mean,
0: I could do a whole episode about how Reagan fucked up the AIDS epidemic so terribly and awfully and how he is basically, I mean, he's already a war criminal, but he went the extra step to blatantly murdering. Well, I don't want to say murder, but letting his own people die Mm -hmm. because they weren't white, straight Christian Male. Once it started affecting straight people, then they were like, oh, shit, we need a vaccine for this.
1: Mm -hmm. Oh, boy. So, yeah, uh, that was Elizabeth's depressing timeline corner. (sighs) And now, I will quickly quiver Elizabeth's conspiracy corner.
0: Oh, just shifting corners?
1: Yeah, I'm going to the other corner of the room really quick, but I'll be right back.
0: Okay, it's the war- it's the warmer corner. All the windows are blacked out.
1: Something. We will be unmasking the eerily familiar conspiracy theories behind the Russian flu of 1889, the original pandemic. Beep <laughs> beep. So my main source, by the way, because I'll be reading a lot word for word because this article is so well written, my main source is an article on Forbes.com, which is a very interesting place for this article to be, written by Alex Knapp. Thank you, Alex. You have a nice beard. So let me just uh, read this to y'all. I found it very interesting. I stumbled upon it while I was doing my research, and I really haven't stopped thinking about it in the last couple days. So, as the COVID-19 pandemic swept the globe in early 2020, a conspiracy theory about the disease went viral on social media. The genesis of the illness, proponents claim, was not the coronavirus. Instead, this pandemic was actually caused by the introduction of 5G broadband, and radiation from cell towers equipped with the technology is the real culprit.
0: It makes me want to give myself a lobotomy.
1: It makes me want to just put a little popsicle stand out in front of my neighborhood that says free lobotomies <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> this is the old-fashioned way with a hammer and a chisel
1: an ice pick and some love choose liz the friendly lobotomy oh yeah i'll sing to you before you go <clears throat> anywho Just a reminder, if you think that your cell phone's killing you, I would advise you to stand pretty close to your microwave every day. Okay? Because that's going to kill you first. That was my corner of, you're a fucking idiot. Thank you for coming. It doesn't take Dr. Fauci to know that conspiracy theories have always been a predictable symptom of pandemics. More than a century ago, the truthers of that day tried to blame a deadly influenza outbreak on a similar technological innovation. On January 31st, 1890, the European edition of the New York Herald ran an item suggesting that the electric light was somehow responsible for a global influenza outbreak. After all, the disease has raged chiefly in towns where the electric light is in common use. The article noted and went on to note that the disease has everywhere attacked telegraph employees. Hmm. Quickly, I would just like to jump back to 2020. This is me, Liz, talking. For people that are saying that there are more coronavirus uh, cases where there are 5G towers, I would simply like to remind you how population works. Okay? If I'm uh, T-Mobile or Verizon or AT&T, am I going to put a 5G tower... In Auburn, Indiana? Probably not. Am I going to want to put a 5G tower in, I don't know, Atlanta, Los Angeles, New York City? Yes. Do you know why? Thank you for asking. Because there are more people there. Okay? The more people around you, the more people you come in contact with the more idiots you have in the grocery store, the more dinguses that are still going to church, the people who are standing in line for to-go margaritas, the people who are still going to the bodega for a sandwich. Okay? The illness in question was the first modern influenza pandemic, known as the Russian flu. The disease likely emerged somewhere in the Russian Empire in 1889 and quickly spread around the world in successive waves. It took only four months to hit every part of the globe, with the United States seeing its peak in January 1890. More than a million people of the 1.5 billion on Earth were killed worldwide in the first wave. The Russian flu was in part a consequence of a newly globalized world, railroads and Transoceanic steamships were a perfect conduit for the disease, accelerating its growth across countries and continents. As with COVID-19, the earlier pandemic also caused a spread of misinformation, conspiracies, and countless dubious therapies. Instead of the internet, these ideas were promulgated by newspapers and telegraphs, but the impact was very similar. People have a need to know the truth and they also have an existential need to feel safe says Dr. Karen Douglas, a researcher who studies the psychology of conspiracy theories, which is a very interesting job, by the way. (laughs) I would really get in on that because it like it really just like boggles the mind how and why people kind of like lean in on these things. And it usually boils down to like what she said. People fucking freak out when they don't know an answer to a question, so they come up with all these crazy things that just make sense and roll with it. Like, yeah, the light bulb. It's killing us all. (laughs) Like, what?
0: And it's also, like, the desire to know more than anyone else. Like, you have this secret inside knowledge that nobody else does. If only people would wake up and realize the knowledge you know.
1: Yeah, which really (laughs) blows. Like, some of the greatest inventions and thinkers and innovators in the world took years and years, sometimes decades, to get their recognition. it's because they had to consistently prove themselves over and over and over and do all these studies and, like, factors and tests and lab works and publishing all their articles. But then you have fucking your friend, like, I don't know, Paco on Facebook who's like, did you guys know that we're all sick because cell phones? And the- oh,
0: yeah the guys who didn't pass high school
1: but uh, suddenly yeah. they're epidemiologists and always the people engineers. yes yes, and like wow that's so crazy I haven't seen you since the 8th grade when you got that girl pregnant and I uh, I heard that you just got out of prison so I'm very interested to know how you came up with this <laughs> I don't fucking know it's wild anywho when reports of the Russian flu first emerged, medical science was in the middle of a major transition. The early 19th century was dominated by what's known as the miasma theory, which is the idea that diseases spread through, through the inhalation of bad air from rotting matter, which is also nuts. By the mid 19th century, though, the germ theory of disease. What we now understand as the idea that illness is caused by microbes became increasingly popular, though proponents persisted um, from the miasma theories into even the early 20th century. The proto truthism from the Russian flu has close parallels in today's pandemic. Although scientists know quite a bit about the novel coronavirus causing COVID-19, that hasn't stopped speculation about its origins. One prominent conspiracy theory is that the virus was deliberately bioengineered in a lab to cause the pandemic. Depending on which theory you believe, the culprits... (laughs) This is my favorite. The culprits behind COVID-19 raged from the Chinese government to the U.S. government to Microsoft co-founder Bill Gates. The coronavirus behind this pandemic almost certainly naturally evolved. There is already considerable genetic evidence pointing to it, but that doesn't halt the rampant and frequent speculations. Uh, It's a classic example of a phenomenon in conspiracy theory research that people perceive patterns that are impossible, or at very best, unlikely. People essentially join the dots when connections should not be made. When there is so much information going around, pieces of information often contradict each other, and they are more likely to see the illusory patterns. So, The lack of misunderstanding about the new deadly strain of flu left doctors so perplexed as to the best way to treat it. An 1889 article in The Lancet conceded that our want of complete knowledge of the nature of the disease renders it difficult to suggest measures of prophylaxis other than the uniform observance of general hygienic rules. Which is literally what we're doing today. It's like you can't convince people of anything, mm-hmm. so everyone has just made it so concise. Just like wash your hands, mm-hmm. cover your mouth, and keep your old people at home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like uh. in the science-based treatments for the Russian flu or lack like thereof, many dubious therapies flourished, taking advantage of people scared of a disease for which no known treatment existed. This, too, parallels in today's pandemic. The FDA has sent multiple warnings to a variety of companies pushing like uh, random cures, ranging from herbal teas to colloidal silver solutions to ingesting detergent. Oh. <clears throat> Even doctors promoted the idea that drinking brandy and eating oysters was the key to staving off infection. I wish. I <sighs> to I wish. I I am saying. The most famous remedy for the Russian flu was carbolic smoke balls. (laughs) Like, I don't know, what a time to be alive. These were manufactured in London and widely advertised. The balls released a smoke of finely ground phenol powder, which is an ingredient commonly used in soap, that would be inhaled through the nostrils. That literally means crushing up soap chemicals and sorting it. In another parallel with the COVID-19 pandemic, there was also a class of drugs that existed on the border of sound science and wishful thinking. So in 1889, um, a drug called quinine, which is an anti-malarial drug that is the antecedent of chloroquine and hydro, okay, hydroxychloroquine, was promoted by newspapers and doctors as a treatment for the Russian flu. Many members of the medical establishment appear to have opposed the use of quinine as a treatment for the disease, but these warnings went unheeded. The tragedy of misinformation and conspiracy theories also had an unfortunate parallel in the Russian flu. Newspapers in January 1891 reported at least two instances in which whole families suffering from the Russian flu mistakenly took poison, thinking they were ingesting quinine. Several of them died as a consequence, or an unhealthy dose of misinformation. Um, Conspiracy theories and the embrace of dubious treatments is quite common during epidemics and pandemics, and research suggests that people who believe in conspiracy theories are more likely to return and turn to alternative remedies that distrust mainstream medicine. More alarming, the spread of misinformation and lack of trust in scientific evidence has the potential to cause real harm. Turning to untested treatments can lead people away from getting the care they need, exposing them to greater risk, and while some alternatives, such as drinking herbal teas, are relatively harmless, others are not. Colloidal silver, for example, which the FDA has warned against, can cause permanent skin discoloration and make it difficult for your body to absorb any medicine, including a simple antibiotic. Perhaps the most insidious conspiracy theory about COVID-19 is one that seems more innocuous. The simple downplaying of the harm. You don't have to go deep into Facebook or Twitter or a grocery store to find speculation that COVID-19 fears are overblown. Similarly, there are numerous opinion pieces and TV segments devoted to the idea that the economic damage from stay-at-home orders caused more harm than the disease itself. This is very common because it allows people to pretend that nothing is wrong and they can get on with their lives. This is an example of motivated reasoning. People believe only what they want to believe. Once again, there is a historic precedent in the Russian flu pandemic. In an article about the illness in December edition of the New York Times, it was reported that while the disease was spreading, it was mostly harmless. Um, The New York Times headline, There is nothing fatal about the universal cold. Luckily, the New York Times has come some way, question mark, but I don't know. By the time the epidemic subsided, a few months later, the Russian flu had claimed the lives of more than 2,500 New Yorkers, making it the hardest-hit city in the United States. And that's all I got. Thank you for coming to Elizabeth's Conspiracy Corner. (laughs) Or lack of Conspiracy Corner, depending on how you look at it.
0: Yeah, a uh, fake Conspiracy Corner. Uh, uh, Desperate to blame somebody else. Desperate to find a villain corner.
1: Listen, just because we have a conspiracy podcast doesn't mean we're fucking idiots, okay? Yeah. That's the that's the title of this episode.
0: All right, so we've discussed uh, historical plagues and pandemics. We have uh, discussed how they have affected America. So uh, let's talk about the one we're living in right now, which Liz has just touched on. Some of the more uh, inflammatory responses to it but let's talk about what happened before we all knew this was a pandemic. Um, Specifically, just to answer the question, was the world prepared for a pandemic? Which I found pretty interesting. So in a very eerie form of foreshadowing, In October of last year, the Global Health and Security Index released data ranking 195 countries on how prepared they were for a pandemic. Countries received points on six factors, uh, prevention, so the prevention of the emergence or release of pathogens, detection and reporting, early detection and reporting for epidemics of potential international concern, rapid response, which was their capability of rapidly responding to and mitigating the spread of an epidemic, health system, which is whether they had a sufficient and robust health system to treat the sick and protect health workers, compliance with global norms, which was their compliance with international norms by improving national capacity and financing plans to address any gaps they had, and risk environment, which was how vulnerable they were to biological threats. So, would you like to take a guess over which country ranked number one out of 195 countries?
1: Um, probably yes.
0: You're exactly right. The United States was ranked number one overall. So it doesn't make a whole lot of sense why the U.S. would be ranked number one overall, especially considering how terrible the response has been so far. Um, And then when you read why we ranked so high, it actually makes you feel worse. So I'm going to try to go through all six categories and discuss the... um, Different category, well, different subcategories where the US ranks number one, just to kind of show how prepared we should have been. So, in the first category, prevention, the US scored number one in the following subcategories. Uh, biosecurity because the U S maintains an updated record of the facilities in which especially dangerous pathogens and toxins are stored and processed, including details on inventories and inventory management systems. The Public Health Security and Bioterrorism Preparedness and Response Act of 2002 requires the Secretary of Health and Human Services to maintain a list of biological agents and toxins with the potential to pose a severe threat to public health and safety. We also ranked number one in biosafety. Because the U.S. has several established agencies responsible for the enforcement of biosafety legislation and regulations, according to the 2016 Joint External Evaluation of the United States, um, a self-assessment report, the agency responsible for enforcing biosafety regulations on especially dangerous pathogens is the Federal Select Agent Program, jointly run by the Departments of Health and Human Services and the USDA. It enforces uh, select agent regulations which address biosafety regarding select agents. And uh, the last category we did, number one in this first one, is dual use of research and culture of responsible science. The U.S. has conducted an assessment across all research institutions to determine whether ongoing research is occurring on especially dangerous pathogens and toxins and has conducted an assessment across federally funded institutions with regard specifically to dual use research of concern. So let's move to our second category, which is detect. And here, here's where we were number one in the entire world. Laboratory systems. Uh, the 2016 Joint External Evaluation Self-Assessment reported states reference laboratories in the national Labor- laboratory system. Laboratory. Laboratory. Uh, Have the capacity to conduct testing for the influenza virus, virus culture for the poliovirus, serology for HIV, microscopy for mycobacterium tuberculosis, and bacterial culture for salmonella. Um, We also ranked number one in our epidemiology workforce because we have applied epidemiology training programs available and publicly funded fellowships are available from the CDC. And The third one is data integration between health sectors because we've established mechanisms for animal, human, and wildlife surveillance to share data within the Animal and Plant Health Inspection Services under the Department of Agriculture and the USDA, the CDC under the Department of Health and Human Services, the Department of Homeland Security, the FDA, and the Food Safety and Inspection Service. Human and animal health agencies also share surveillance information through their emergency operations centers and the third category which is which was the most pressing for me third category is respond and we ranked number 1 in the following categories emergency preparedness and response plan the us has a national public health emergency response plan which addresses planning for multiple communicable, communicable diseases with pandemic potential public health emergency planning exists in the context of overall Disaster planning set out in the National Preparedness System, or the NPS. The National Response Framework, last updated in 2016, defines U.S. doctrine for managing any type of disaster or emergency. I'm sorry. It gets worse. (laughs) Linking public health and security authorities. The public health and national security authorities have carried out exercises to respond to a potential deliberate biological event. And there are procedures for public health and security authorities to jointly respond to such an event. Yes. We also ranked number one in risk communication because the U.S. government provides guidance on risk communication as part of its general disaster management system and information relating specifically to public health emergencies. The Incident Communications Emergency Policy and Procedures, part of the National Response Framework for Disasters, provides guidance for risk communicators during a coordinated federal response. And then uh, the last one we placed number one in this category was trade and travel restrictions. In the past year, the U.S. has not issued restrictions on the movement of people across its borders based on infectious disease risk, but has issued restrictions on imports of avian commodities from another country based on the risk of highly pathogenic avian influenza. So basically, we blocked stuff that could be related to the bird flu. The CDC publishes travel health notices in the United States. A level three warning is the most serious and advises against non-essential travel, but does not ban it. The CDC has three level three warnings in place in December 2018, but its travel notices page has no evidence of mandatory travel restrictions. Hello? Moving on. Fourth category, health. Health. If you can believe it, we ranked number one in categories in subcategories, in the category of health. First one was communication with healthcare workers. This one's also really sad. Just going to go ahead and say it. this one's also really sad. Communication with healthcare workers. The CDC and Department of Health and Human Services have systems in place to enable communication between public health officials and healthcare workers during a public health emergency. The CDC's Health Alert Network enables cleared information about public health emergencies to be rapidly shared with public health practitioners and clinicians at a federal, state, and local level. Uh, infection control practices and availability of equipment. The U.S. has a publicly available strategy and plan addressing personal protective equipment, also known as PPE, supply issues for routine national use and during a public health emergency. The National Health Security Strategy and Associated Implementation Plan, published by the Office of the Assistant Secretary for Preparedness and Response, Department of Health and Human Services, includes a strategy for improving the supply of PPE, which is explicitly included in the term medical countermeasures. All right. Capacity to test and approve new medical countermeasures in the U.S., both the Office of Human Subjects Research Protection and the FDA within the Department of Health and Human Services have regulations requiring ethical review by an institutional review board before beginning a clinical trial. Clinical trials involving products reviewed and approved by the FDA must comply with FDA regulations. Those which are federally funded, supported, or conducted must comply with HHS regulations. If both criteria apply, they must comply with both sets of regulations. So we research our shit before we put out uh, a vaccine, basically. Um, would either of you like to guess where we ranked out of 195 in the subcategory of access to healthcare? 195. You were very close, Katie. Um, 187. Closer. We ranked 175 mm-hmm. out of 195 in access yeah, to healthcare. Cool. Yes. Yep. <laughs> so okay this is the um this is the fifth category norms actually i'm gonna skip this one because it's like it's just all basically norms is um how we relate to other countries and how we work with work with other countries to develop a national preparedness system and basically um according to this we actually had an agreement with Canada and Mexico, in regards to how we would react if something like this happened. And it got thrown out the window, I guess. And then risk is the last category. And we only ranked number one in public health vulnerabilities because um, over 99% of homes in the United States have access to clean water sources and basic sanitation. So we kind of did the bare minimum and we're number one. Yay. Yay. Ah. So, all that in place, especially like everything we have in regards to healthcare systems, we should at least be doing a reasonable job in the face of this pandemic. um, To get a better idea of how other countries were ranked versus how they're um, adapting and treating the coronavirus, here's some other countries. So, for instance, South Korea. Um, If you're curious, they were ranked ninth overall, and they've mostly lived up to that ninth place ranking. Um, Although most experts say the country's experience battling SARS in 2002 and 2003 helped to prepare for this outbreak. It scored high in the detection category, which assesses the skills of its workforce and the ability to conduct real-time surveillance. To fight the coronavirus, South Korea has tested hundreds of thousands of people for free. While they are starting to experience new cases again, they still only have 11,000 confirmed cases and 260 deaths. Um, Italy, who was ranked 31st. um, But what they're saying now is basically an analysis of flight data released by the GHS, the Global Health and... Yeah, global health security index team in march 2020 demonstrated why the country has been hit particularly hard so it's not necessarily their fault their analysis showed italy ranks lower in its ability to detect and respond to an outbreak and that it experiences a high number of domestic and foreign travelers who transmit illnesses every year making it more vulnerable to an outbreak today the country's health systems are overwhelmed with shortages of hospital beds ventilators and healthcare workers as of now, which is today when I checked, but obviously is going to be different when this episode is released, they have 223,885 cases with 31,610 deaths. However, as a whole, the country is finally beginning to flatten the curve. Um, China was ranked 51st. So still, I mean, they just missed the top 50, but they're still, you know, they're in the top 50 half. Um, they scored lowest in compliance with international norms because they kind of do their own thing. And they failed to complete several internationally recognized health security plans, which fits into one of its serious errors, probably their biggest failure at the outset of the outbreak, which was their inability to communicate what was going on in Wuhan. Local authorities withheld information about the virus from the public and the central government silenced doctors who spoke out. Beijing eventually locked down entire cities, affecting an estimated 760 million people, which is over twice as many as those in the United States. So, everyone in Wisconsin can shut the fuck up. Authorities ordered the construction of new hospitals and fever clinics for people to be tested and treated. Um, and now, China has the ability to share healthcare supplies with other hard hit nations. After their first initial rash of cases, they now only have 84,000 cases and 4,637 deaths. Roughly, the number of deaths they have is roughly one-sixth the deaths that New York City has. Just to throw that out there. Um, And As the coronavirus continues to spread across the globe, we're seeing some additional trends. Some countries who ranked well in this index, for instance, Canada, who ranked fifth, and Australia, who ranked fourth, actually handling this pandemic pretty well and taking care of their citizens. Australia, for example, only has 7,000 cases in the entire country. New Zealand has exceeded expectations considering they were ranked 35th. They've only had 21 deaths so far, and they just had their second day of zero new cases.
1: They're also led by a woman. woman.
0: Yes, we both said it at the same time. Oh, we did? (laughs) woo Um, Russia currently has the second highest number of confirmed cases. They are still way, way, way behind the United States, but they're one of the fastest growing countries in regards to cases, probably because they finally started fucking testing their people. Same Mm -hmm. with Brazil. Anyways, they were ranked 63rd in the survey below China, which makes sense considering how poorly they're doing. Um, And then you have the US and the UK ranked first and second in the index and they currently have the first and third most confirmed cases in the world so i feel like the obvious conclusion to make is conservatives can't be trusted with the lives of their citizens even with the best prevention measures in place (laughs) oh just kidding i don't want to get super political that's i'll be getting super political in like two minutes and now, some might say there's a sense of bias in place with the survey, considering how they chose to rank countries. Based on the factors they chose, nearly every African country is in the bottom, with Equatorial Guinea dead last. Yes, dead last, even after North Korea. Yet, we haven't seen high numbers of COVID-19 cases in African countries, although there are experts who believe the situation is about to get worse. FYI, in case you're curious, Equatorial Guinea only has 594 cases, period. Not 594,000, 594, period. They have a long way to go to surpass the number one most prepared country, which currently has over 4.5 million confirmed cases. And we'll probably be 5 million by the time this episode is out. Speaking of, why did America react so poorly to this pandemic? It's a question on everyone's mind. (laughs) Especially mine. Um, Despite ranking so high in so many important categories, in addition to being home of the freaking CDC, whose main job is to control and manage situations like this, what happened? Well, there are a few things in play here. And it's probably not what you think, especially coming from me. (laughs) So, (laughs) behavioral economists Amos uh, Versky and Daniel Kahneman have developed the idea of the availability heuristic, which suggests people overestimate the probability of things that are high-profile and memorable, such as terrorist attacks. However, the reverse is also the case, and the sustained absence of a pandemic, such as COVID-19, a high-impact, once-in-a-generation event, has led people to underestimate its likelihood and impact. It's no accident countries that have responded effectively to the outbreak are in East Asia, such as South Korea, which I mentioned earlier, where the SARS outbreak and H5N1 scares are relatively recent memories. For example, Taiwan has been praised for taking early action to contain the potential spread of the virus. And Singapore has been able to keep down infection rates through widespread testing for the virus, enabling effective quarantining and treatment of cases. So it is. Super tempting to see the pandemic's response through a solely partisan lens. And that is completely fair. The Trump administration spectacularly failed in its response by cutting funding from essential health services and research before the crisis, and later by denying its existence and severity for two full months. That is undoubtedly true. But these responses are these truths don't fully explain the current global crisis that has engulfed multiple countries besides just America. When you look at it, the reality-based science-friendly communities and information sources many of us depend on also largely failed us. In regards to the coronavirus, we had time to prepare for this pandemic at the state, local and household level, even if the government was terribly lagging. But we squandered it because of a widespread asystematic thinking, the inability to think about complex systems and their dynamics. We faltered because of our failure to consider risk in its full context, especially when dealing with coupled risk, when multiple things can go wrong together. So back in January, I know, it seems like five years ago, on January 29th, about a week after the Chinese government shifted from their deny and prevent information from getting out strategy to actually telling people what was going on, a group of Chinese scientists published a significant paper in the New England Journal of Medicine. The paper established the RO, which I kind of talked about earlier when we were talking about measles. It's basically how you tell how infectious a disease is, Um, and this was based on the first known case of coronavirus in early December through January 4th, and they estimated it to be a little more than two. That means that, left somewhat unchecked, each infected person infected two or more people. Crucially, the paper pointed out evidence of mild and even asymptomatic cases, which was unlike SARS, and One of the reasons SARS is not as contagious as the coronavirus is it shows symptoms very early on. Same with Ebola. And if you see symptoms early on, then you can treat it nearly immediately. However, COVID-19 is fairly asymptomatic in most people. If you merely looked at the R number, the virus wasn't outrageously contagious. Um, It was similar to the seasonal flu, which I think is 1.2, like I said before, but nothing explosive like measles which has an R number of 12 to 18. So one child of a mother who doesn't vaccinate can infect 12 to 18 other people. Um, The case fatality rate or the percent of infected people who die for younger people was fairly low. Um, pretty comparable to seasonal influenza, which kills about 0.1% of his victims. Thus, from the end of January through most of February, a soothing message got widespread traction, not just with uh, Donald Trump and his audience of maggots but among traditional media in the United States, which told us to worry about the flu instead and warned us against overreaction. After all, the flu kills tens of thousands of people every year, and we don't get all worried about that. Overall, the message seems sensible, grown-up, reasonable, and responsible. And this complacency within the media and our elected officials went on until about early March, when the severity of the crisis finally sunk in, seemingly only after Italy started suffering the same kind of crisis that had hit Wuhan months earlier. And I do remember that that was kind of the turning point when we started seeing people taking it more seriously, was when... Other countries besides China started seeing these astronomical rates of infections, and we started to see what can happen if you don't take it seriously. I, the, I am haunted by the images and videos I saw from Italian hospitals during that time period.
1: Yes, yes.
0: Uh, Worse, COVID-19 wasn't even just another flu-like illness. By January 29th, it was clear it caused severe primary pneumonia in its victims, unlike the flu, which tends to leave patients susceptible to opportunistic secondary pneumonia. None of this erases the administration's failures, which are huge and grave, and they still will not admit to. Unfortunately, the man doesn't even remember the fact that he held rallies in february and march um but the painful truth is our elected officials at every level could have tried to do a lot That would have helped. Not everything had to wait for the federal government to step in and help. Hong Kong had a largely unresponsive government, but great popular pressure and people's own actions, immediate adoption of social distancing in January, universal mask wearing, calling for closures and cancellations, even when the government dragged its feet, have meant that the city has a very low rate of infection up until late March, despite its nearness to China and its status as one of the most densely populated places in the world. So, that's all I have.
1: (sighs) That's all I have to say about that. (laughs) So,
0: yes, the administration severely bungled this in absolutely every which way. And there's, I mean, we can't get those two months back. We can't get back the 70,000 American citizens who have died because the pandemic response team was let go and nobody ever filled their spots. They were taken out of China where they could have observed this going on and spread the news faster. Um, we have the terrible situation where states can't get the PPE they need because the federal government is stepping in and taking it from them and forcing states to bid on their own PPE. That is a real thing that's happening in our country right now. But it's I mean, I think a great example would be obviously people who listen to this podcast know that we are recording from Atlanta, Georgia, Atlanta-ish, and I would say our mayor, Miss Keisha Lance Bottoms, did a fantastic job. Um, yes, she. I early March, uh, well, early to mid March, Atlanta was shut down before a full three weeks before yeah. Georgia was shut down as a state. And not just relatively low rates, but the number of cases are dropping in Atlanta specifically. And I think that is a precedent that a lot of other leaders should have followed. And we, I mean, a lot more Americans would be alive today. It's tragic. It's tragic.
1: I agree. I think like like you said, we can't get those two months back. But if you like look at Like you were talking about earlier, everything that we had in place, and I think I mentioned this last episode, like, if you think about what we had, literally, with all the funding ready, we were prepped and ready. We could have been done with this, literally all of this, in February? Yeah. I would say that confidently. Oh, I do
0: want to... Um, If you would like to read more about the Global Health Security Index, and it is fascinating to read it, not just for the United States, but for other countries, you can check out the entire thing at ghsindex.org.
1: Well, I'm sorry, friends, if this episode was overbearing and, you know, had some heavy-hitting information. I'm also sorry for calling you guys fucking idiots. If anyone listening believes that the Earth is flat, or doesn't believe in vaccinations, or doesn't believe that the coronavirus is real, I will apologize for my harsh language. um, But I would encourage... (laughs) I will. I would encourage you to look at all your sources. Just like we look at all our sources, you know, at the end of the day, the of possibility is really big. But I just would like to tell you that I still love you. And I don't mean that you're an idiot. I just get frustrated when I see you cause and effect. <laughs> Liz's,
0: Liz's airy sun and Libra moon come into conflict once again.
1: <laughs> I'm like, get the fuck out. I never want you to listen to this podcast again. <laughs> I'm like, you know what? I, really, I landed hot back there, you know?
0: <gasps> Just kidding, guys. You're all special, wonderful people, and I think you look nice today.
1: Well, I don't think that anyone's a fucking idiot just because they believe something different. I just think that they believe something different.
0: We hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Please feel free to give it some stars if you liked it. I'm sorry if you were looking for escapism. We promise we'll give you that next time.
1: Yeah, just follow my personal Instagram and I'll send you songs every day. What else do I do? My, My cats and my candles and, you know... Just just do whatever it is that you feel like you need to do right now. If you feel like you need to go to Home Depot, buy some paint, and paint your whole house, feel free. Just wear a mask to wash your hands. If you feel like you just need to take a walk around your neighborhood once a day for five miles, do it. Just don't do it with 12 other people. And we're all going to get through this, even if it takes a really long time. Don't forget to vote. Those are directly coordinated. All right, y'all. We will talk to you next time. Exactly. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram. Don't forget like, Spiritual Podcast, I Love you. <laughs> all right, y'all.
2: Bye. Bye. Bye.